Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, it is a real privilege to be able to share God's Word with you this week. I'd like to thank your pastor, Reverend Anthony Lee, for, for this kind invitation, and also bring greetings from my home church, Living Waters Methodist. And today, I, I would like us to grapple with a, a rather difficult, thorny subject. What do we do when we cannot understand God's ways? You know, sometimes in, in, in this walk with God that we have, in this journey as a Christian, we face trials and struggles and difficulties. It could be an illness, the death of a loved one, a struggle with sin, grappling with fear and anxiety or, or depression, financial troubles. And there are times when we go through these things and God tells us quite clearly that He's with us. He gives us a reason why He's taking us through a trial and we understand. But there are also times, is it not there, where God seems silent and we don't understand what He's taking us through. So, brothers and sisters, if, if you're going through a trial right now and you're seeking God and you're asking God, God, why? I believe that today He has, he has a word for you and He wants to speak into your life. And for the rest of us, as, as we listen to this message, I believe God wants to, to speak into us, to, to strengthen us and to encourage us that as we go through trials and, and the storms of our lives, He wants to tune our hearts to His voice and what He wants to say to us. So before we go to the Word of God together, will you pray with me? And let's ask God to speak to us. Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Word, and for the precious times where we can listen to Your Word together. And we pray today that Your Holy Spirit fill us, the Holy Spirit takes away all distractions and speaks into our hearts, our minds and our souls what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, today's passage is from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. It's a passage that's familiar to most of us, but not one that we preach from that often in church. So if you have a Bibles with you, can you pick them up with me and, and let's read the passage together. So Genesis 4, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept the flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were out in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops to you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. That's a word of God. And it's an enigmatic and, and, and mysterious passage. But for today's purposes, I just want to focus on, on two themes or movements in this passage that we, we can break it up to for us to understand. The first from verses 1 to 5 is God's mysterious choice. And the second theme or movement that we want to focus on is from verses 6 to 9, Cain's moment of decision. Let's start with that first theme or movement, God's mysterious choice. So if you, you have followed as, as along as we read the word, the narrative in Genesis 4 picks up right after the story of the fall of man as Adam and Eve were driven out of the Garden of Eden. We are told that Adam made love to his wife Eve, and they conceived two children, Cain, uh, the eldest son, and then a, later a younger brother, Abel. Now, Cain was a farmer, someone who, who worked the soil and grew crops or maybe plants or fruit. So imagine with me, if you will, in your mind, uh, these fruits would be likely placed on an altar uh, and then burned as an offering. And you would think that God would be pleased with, with this expression of worship and thanksgiving, of, of trust and of faith. But, but then the story shifts focus. And the narrative tells us that Abel, Cain's younger brother, the shepherd, also brought an offering to God. This time, an offering of the fat portion of the firstborn of his flock. So again, Imagine with me, now Abel, with the choice portions of a sheep or goat, um, the most valuable, fattest animal from his flock, and the best parts of that animal, laid on the altar and burned in an offering to God. Imagine with me the, the smoke, the smell, the fragrance as the pieces of meat and fat are burned and, and it rises up towards God. And again, this arises as an expression of worship, of thanksgiving, of trust for God's blessing and, and providence for Abel and his flock. So you have those two pictures in mind, Cain and Abel. And then we come to this really enigmatic and mysterious passage. We are told that the Lord looked on favour on Abel's offering, on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, God did not look with favour. Looking at the text, we, we do not really know what it meant that God looked upon Abel and his offering with favour, but did not favour Cain and his offering. 
there's little help in terms of interpretation, either from, from old Jewish sources or historical commentaries. So this portion needs some of our, our imagination to fill in. You know, could it be that both brothers came at the same time before uh, two altars presenting their sacrifices and, and God spoke directly to them saying he was pleased with Abel's offering but displeased with Cain's? Or, or could it be that God signaled his, his choice through some miraculous sign? For example, Abel's animal offering uh, being set on fire and the smoke rising to the heavens but somehow Cain's grain offering smoldering and dying out. Or could it be something in, in the longer term with God blessing Abel's work so that his flock grew fat and plentiful, but on the other hand, uh, Cain's crop suffering from drought and famine or, or say a year of bad harvest. Now the text is silent. But whatever the case, we know from the narrative that it was abundantly clear to Cain that his sacrifice was not accepted but his brother's was. And boy, was he unhappy about that. Verse 5 tells us that he was angry and his face was downcast. Now, I don't know how many of you have a fiery temper or how many of you are the slow burn type. That when, you know, when you're upset, the anger simmers slowly, your face gets darker and darker and more downcast and the anger builds and builds. And this is how I imagine Cain. Whether it was through God speaking directly to the brothers or, or through his crops failing or in some other way, when he finds out that God has favoured Abel in his offering but has rejected his, his anger seethed, it rose and his face got darker and more downcast. Now, let me pause here at this dramatic moment. You know, if this was a Netflix show or, or, or K-drama, it would be a perfect cliffhanger moment to stop one episode and then before moving to the next. But before we go there, there is one big question that comes up at this point. A, a real mystery, which the narrative does not seem to address, which is this. Why? Why did God favour Abel and his offering, but not Cain's? And, and you know, this is a question that theologians and preachers and commentators have struggled with for centuries. Uh, we know that these early Bible stories, of which Cain and Abel was one, was probably passed on from generation to generation as an oral tradition, as stories of God that, that the parents would tell to the children and children would tell to the grandchildren. And... What, before they were eventually collected and, and put together in the form that we now know of today as the book of Genesis. And yet, when the authors put down the story of Cain and Abel, with, with all those dramatic moments that we are studying today, this was a part that seems to be very skimpy on the details. Why did, why did God choose one brother over the other? And over the centuries, you know, as scholars debate and struggle over this, They've come up with a few main possibilities. So some say that God might have given an instruction before the events of this narrative, before the offerings were made, that what he desires is a blood sacrifice with the life of animals being spilled out and how that is more suitable than a grain sacrifice. Because this, in a sense, foreshadows 
the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So, so that's one possibility. So others have said that there must have been some sin of the heart or bad attitude that Cain held as he was giving his offering. That it's not captured in the narrative, but in his reaction of anger, this later on gives us a hint of the darkness in his heart as he made the sacrifice. So, so that's one possible reason. Still others, um, they fast forward and look at the, what the writer to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says, and in Hebrews 11.4, uh, where he writes, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. So this third theory here is that somehow uh, Cain did not bring his offering by faith. That maybe there was some doubt or question in his heart about the person or goodness of God. Now, I, I do not have the time to go through an in-depth discussion of all the theological nuances of these uh, three main interpretations. And I'll leave that for you and, and your own study. But I think it's fair to say that each of these interpretations ha have their own strengths and weaknesses. It may have been one of these factors, may have been a combination of two or, or even three. But you know, the truth is, we do not really know. We do not really know, and, and probably will not, this side of heaven. Why? Because the problem we have is that the text is completely silent on God's thoughts and on his motivations. And if you confine yourself to the word of God as written in Genesis, it is actually quite a mystery why God chose one brother over another. And that is why many of the modern commentators now, the, the modern scholars, when they look at this passage and they say, if you want to be faithful to the text, it's actually a sovereign mystery. It, and it is a challenging mystery at that, where God seems to make a sovereign choice of one brother over another with no explanation whatsoever as to why he did so. Walter Brueggemann, who is perhaps the greatest Old Testament scholar of our times, puts it this way. He says, The rejection of Cain is not reason, but it is necessary premise for the story. Life is unfair. God is free. So I'll say that again. He says the rejection of Cain is not reason, but, but it is a necessary premise for this story. Life is unfair. God is free. But you know, my brothers and sisters, God's freedom to act and not explain himself here can hang quite uncomfortably. Isn't that, isn't that true? Because this mystery is something that, that we may actually struggle to deal with. It makes us ask questions like, hey, is God being fair here? Is it an arbitrary choice? Or uh, how could a good God allow Cain to go through a struggle like that unless there was a good reason, an explainable rationale behind rejecting one offering and, and taking another? And, you know, maybe for, for those of us with siblings, like, like I, I have a brother who I love very much uh, that we're often compared to, 
this specter of unfairness and, and arbitrariness may come up all the more strongly in the passage. So we want to find out what was on God's mind and what was on his heart at that time. We want to know because we want to make sure that the choice of one brother over another was not arbitrary or unfair or unfathomable. We want to be able to explain God. And that is perhaps the reason why scholars over the centuries have been trying to crack the code to find some rational way to explain God's choice of Abel over Cain. But brothers and sisters, let me pause here and ask that we examine our hearts. And let's allow both the Word of God in this difficult passage, as well as the Holy Spirit, to examine us deep inside our souls. You see, this reaction to an uncomfortable mystery of God is something that, that is so human, so common in all of us, and, and maybe that's the reason why this story has been allowed to come to us in this form in the Bible. When we are faced with, with a part of God that we cannot understand, where we cannot explain His actions, especially, especially when we are facing storms and struggles and life challenges that God in His will somehow allows us to go through and we cannot understand. It is so very much hard-coded in our minds, in our hearts, to seek for answers, to try and grapple with God's mind and heart, to ask why, to want a clear answer from Him. And if you're anything like me, we ask questions like, God, just what are you doing in my life? We ask, why am I going through this? What do you want with me? Are you punishing me? Why does this seem so unfair? We ask God, where are you taking me on this journey? When will it end? How will it end? What do I do? When faced with the mystery of God, we want explanations. We want clarity. We want to deal with those hidden fears and worries we have inside that God may somehow be unfair or arbitrary or that he somehow favours us less than, say, another brother or sister in Christ. We want some answers. But my friends, what happens when we meet what I, I call a, a Cain and Abel situation? What if there are no clear answers? Sometimes, God speaks to us very clearly and, and sets us the right path in terms of a heart and attitude. You know, he, he shows us exactly what He is doing and why. But other times, it can be a lot more difficult. When God's will remains a mystery and His ways are beyond our comprehension. And sure, like, you know, the Cain and Abel narrative, there may be theories and possibilities of why God is allowing us to go through certain paths, why he allows us to go through times of trial and trouble. And yet there are times when nothing seems to be a satisfactory answer. In our hearts, there's still a vacuum, a silence from God. And, and I want to say this very sensitively. 
You know, there are times when we go to our, our church family with our problems, with our struggles and silence, and then with our best of all intentions, our Christian friends and neighbours are ready to give all the explanations and counsel and advice as to why God is allowing us to go through trials or certain struggles and, and, and what we should do. And sometimes that is so helpful and praise God for, for the fellowship of believers who lift us up with their words of love and counsel. But sometimes, and somehow this is often true, especially in the darkest depths of our private struggles, the standard form Christian answers and platitudes and counsel are the very last thing that we want or we need to hear. Isn't that true? That when, when the words of loved ones can be cold comfort, much like the words of Job's friends in the Bible, uh, they ring hollow and, and speak little to our hearts when we are struggling with the silence of God in our lives and in our circumstances. So like Cain, we may be faced with a situation where we struggle and life seems unfair. And yet we are faced with a God who is both free and sovereign and mysterious. So what then can we do when we do not understand God's ways? What shape or attitude should our hearts take when we are faced with the mystery of God? Hope you're all still with me because that brings us to the second movement or theme of the passage, Cain's moment of decision. And when we last left the narrative, we saw Cain having been rejected was angry. He, he was very angry. He was seething. His face was downcast and fallen. Then the narrative tells us that the Lord was then right there by Cain's side. And God spoke to him and helped him to sort through his thoughts and his emotions and his action. And God tells Cain, he asked of him, why, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So let's take a step back and imagine with me Cain. Having had his offering rejected, whether at the altar or through God speaking or some miraculous sign, he's going through a struggle of being rejected by God and, and seeing his brother Abel being met with success and favor. He's angry. He's hurt. And we see from here, very ominously, that he's tempted to do something evil, something sinful in reaction to that hurt and the anger in him. And then God comes and shines a light straight into Cain's heart. And he tells him, I can see your anger. I can see the sin and evil that's crouching at your heart. But you must overcome it. God says, the sin, it wants to take you. It desires to overwhelm you. But you must rule over it. Wow. This is a, this is a very challenging passage. Indeed. You know, you almost sense that God's mysterious choice in, in favoring uh, Abel over Cain 
it's actually the catalyst or, or, or the, the thing that has precipitated this crisis in Cain's life. You know, it was God's mysterious choice that, that actually drove Cain to anger. And now seething with, with rage, with sinful, uh, a murderous thought in his mind, God comes and speaks with him and tells him that he can, that he must overcome the evil. But you know, what is remarkable here is that God does not give an explanation as to why he chose Abel over Cain. That, that still remains a mystery. He doesn't explain at all. What he does is he makes himself available. He comes and speaks in the most intimate terms with Cain, dealing with the very secrets in Cain's heart. And for Cain, there's now a stark choice in how he responds to this mysterious will of God, this mysterious choice of God. And here, we reach the second cliffhanger in our narrative. How will Cain choose? How will he respond to this difficult circumstance? Now, if we stop just here, and try to put words to the choice that Cain has before him. We, we try to understand what go, is going on to his heart and his mind. I think we can see that there are two paths that Cain can take. On one hand, he can take the path of doubt, of indignation, and of control. But on the other hand, he could choose the path of faith, of intimacy, and fear. I want to pause here and unpack this a bit. And again, even as we do so, to ask for the Holy Spirit to come and search our hearts and speak to us as we do so. You see, you know, Cain's reaction is again so, so very human, so recognizable in, in our own lives and hearts, certainly in, in my life and in my heart. When we face a situation where, where we cannot understand God's ways, where, where life seems a bit unfair, where, where God allows us to go through troubles and struggles, and His purposes somehow seem a mystery to us, like Cain, it is so tempting for us to begin to doubt God's goodness. We begin to ask, does God really love me? Sure, he loves all his children, that's what the Bible says. But does he really care for me as much as he does my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ? Is God really a good God? Why is he allowing me to go through this struggle over and over and over again? Why is he allowing the walls of my life to be battered and broken down? Does God really have a good plan? and a purpose for my life. And like Cain, we sometimes harbour indignation in our hearts. Indignation meaning an anger, an annoyance, a sense of unfairness that might be fed by disappointment or frustration or envy. It, it may be anger at those who, who do evil in our lives and leave scars on our hearts. It may be anger towards our brothers and sisters who appear to have an easier life, a, a more even path, 
greater blessings, maybe physically, materially or spiritually. We may be upset at ourselves, at wrong choices that were made in the past, habits that we keep falling into, or tendency to repeat the sins of the past over and over again. Or often, we may be upset at God for not answering our prayers, for allowing our lives to spin out of control, for not working in a way that we understand, for being what we think is unfair to us. And then like Cain, instead of listening to God's voice, instead of obedience, we so often turn to grasping control of our situation with our own two hands. Because in our doubt, in our indignation, we grow tired of waiting for God, of seeking Him, of of walking in Him and trying to obey Him. Instead, we drift away, sometimes shutting God out of our lives. Sometimes, we take on distractions that we know are harmful or not good for us. Other times, we take on willful sin, doing things that we know God would not approve of. But oftentimes, this doubt, this indignation, this control, it's more subtle than that. It may not even be reflected in, in outward action, but inwardly, in our hearts, we give up on seeking God's hand and control in our situations. We stop trusting Him. We stop surrendering, but instead we turn towards self-sufficiency. We choose to rely on our own resources and those of the world around us rather than God. And you know, sometimes those resources run out or we cannot help ourselves and we face situations where we come to a dead end. And instead of turning to God in trust and faith, we are burdened with worry and despair We're haunted by anxiety. So we exchange the surrender of our lives and situations to God for an attempt instead to control our own destinies. Brothers and sisters, this is one path that Cain could take when faced with the mystery of God. Doubt, indignation, and control. But you see, that was not the only path that lay before him. There was also the path of faith, of fear and intimacy. Let me start with faith. Because instead of doubt in the goodness and the person of God, Cain could have made another choice. A choice that says, in the face of this mystery, in the face of not understanding, I still choose to believe that God is good that God loves me and that God has my very best in store for me. Faith that says, where I cannot see or understand what God's hands are doing, I can still trust His heart, which I know is full of love for me. When I cannot understand what He brings me through, I can still trust that He will bring me to a good place. And then the, the flip side of this faith, the other side of that coin 
It's a choice to choose the fear of the Lord. Fear not in the sense of us being afraid of God, but rather being in awe and wonder and worship of Him, in recognizing His majesty and His authority, or recognizing that God is sovereign. He is greater and higher and immeasurably more than we can imagine or understand. Fear of God that says, God, you are God who I cannot box in, I cannot analyze, I cannot control, and I may not fully understand. It is that type of awe and worship that causes the writer of Proverbs 1 to say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The type of fear that caused Isaiah to prophesy in wonder at God's words and saying, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways. As the heavens are, are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. It is a type of fear that has angels bowing down before God, crying, holy, holy, holy. The type of fear that humbles us before a mighty God. You know, for Cain and for us, it would be the fear of the Lord that would reflect in us saying, God, I may not know why you do certain things, why you make certain choices, why you allow me to go through certain trials. But I accept that your ways are higher than mine and your thoughts are higher than my own and I tremble in awe and worship. It is this fear of the Lord that calls us to acknowledge that God is to be obeyed and that He's holy in every circumstance. It is the fear that causes Cain to see that God hates sin and calls us into obedience, even when it's difficult to understand. You know, I, I really like the way uh, the author C.S. Lewis captures this dance of faith and fear uh, in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, which I, I'm sure a lot of us have read. You know, every time a character in the stories of Narnia try to understand a bit more about Aslan the lion, where he will go, what he will do, someone will respond, Aslan is not a tame lion. So he cannot be boxed up. He, he cannot be controlled. He, he cannot be made to act in the way we want to, just like, like a circus lion. But so it is with our God. He is not a tame lion. He will not always be predictable, He's not always controllable and always working within our intellectual boxes. No. Instead, walking with God is an adventure with its ups and its downs and its sideways of sometimes not knowing where He's leading, not knowing what He's going to do in the next chapter. So we walk with faith and fear. Faith that says, God, no matter my circumstances, I know you are good. I know that your heart for me is love and that you have my best purposes ahead of me. Fear that says, I stand in awe of you. I may not understand everything you do, but that is your sovereign prerogative. I, I stand in obedience and in worship. I flee from sin, for you are holy. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts higher than my thoughts. 
But you know, there's still a, a third aspect in making the choice to follow God's path. And that is intimacy with Him. Because God does not ask us to have blind faith or blind fear, just to trust Him no matter what He does or, or to worship Him and trust Him unquestioning, unquestioningly no matter what happens to us. No. That is because God does not call us into His kingdom to be slaves, but to be children. Children who know intimately the heart of the Father who loves them. And what is so remarkable to me about this narrative of Cain and Abel is that through the ups and downs, through the anger and the sin and the murder, God is still constantly by Cain's side as he struggles with his doubt and anger and search for control. God is speaking with him, revealing his thoughts to him, counseling him, walking alongside him. And what a wonderful image of intimacy with the living God that is. That in our lowest of lows, God is still there walking with us. And this is the God we worship and the God who we have faith in, the God in whom we can say we love you, God, because you first loved us. So when we are faced with the mystery of God, when we cannot understand His ways, when we cannot grasp why He does certain things, still we can press into Him, to know Him, to be with Him, to understand His heart, how He feels about things, how He loves us, how He cares for His children. So that our faith in God and our fear of the Lord grows more and more as we know Him more and more intimately, as we see Him more and more, as we grow in Him more and more. How then can we walk with a lion who is not tame? How can we endure a life of not always being able to understand or control His movements and decisions? My friends, we do this by knowing Him intimately so that we can truly say, God, even though I cannot see your hands, still I know your heart. And today, as, as I come to the end of the message, I want to pause here to speak especially to those of you in the congregation who are going through that same struggle that Cain may be going through where you have a struggle in your life, a pain or wound of the heart, a struggle or circumstance or situation, and you're grappling and grasping to understand what God is doing. And I want to pause to speak especially to those of you who may never have had that type of intimacy with God that grows that faith and that fear and that love for Him. Or if you have been a Christian for many years, but somehow you have lost that closeness to God and you're struggling with Him. Whatever the case, my friends, my brothers and my sisters, I want to tell you that God loves you. That no matter what your circumstances, He wants you to know that He has a plan and purpose for you. He wants to come into your life today and share His heart with you. 
So today, if you're listening to this message and you feel your heart stir with a desire to know God more, will you respond to Him? If you are listening to this today and you're struggling and grappling with doubt, with indignation, with wanting to seek control of your own destiny, but you hear and you see that there's a different path, path where God calls you to walk in faith, in fear and intimacy. Will you come by faith? Will you come before our living God and say, yes, yes God, I want to know you more. I want to come in faith and in fear and open my life and my heart to you. And my brother, my sister, I know that our God will respond to you He will meet you at your point of need and He will fill you with His presence. I'm going to close in prayer. But as I do, wherever you are sitting, will you pray with me? Let's lift our hearts up to God together. Father, as we close this time together, we imagine in our hearts a picture of Cain at the altar struggling with a mysterious choice. And sometimes, Lord, you know in our lives we face that struggle. And I pray for all my brothers and sisters listening to this today, especially those who are faced with a time of trial, with a time of struggle. Like Cain, Lord, our hearts sometimes are torn with choices before us. But yet, Lord, you call us to a life of faith, of fear and intimacy. And Lord, I know that in you, life doesn't have to be a scary journey in a dark forest, but an adventure with a guide and a captain who knows us, who loves us, and has our good in heart. So I pray for my brothers and sisters that today as we hear your voice, they will respond to you, They will open their hearts to you and allow your Holy Spirit to speak to them. In Jesus' name, Amen.